0: All right. Well, um, welcome to All Nations, and thank you for joining us. Uh, We are in the final sermon of a series titled Encountering Jesus, and I hope that it's been a blessing to you. Uh, I hope it's been an encouragement to you. It's definitely been a joy for me uh, to prepare them and preach them uh, here at our church. And today, uh, we're looking at Jesus' encounter with Peter, his restoring encounter with Peter. It's actually one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John, and I can't think of a better passage for us to end our series with. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles today, would you please turn to John chapter 21 and verses 15 to 19. Uh, Let's turn there to John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. And trusting that you're there, may God bless the reading of his holy and matchless word. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Amen. The word of the Lord. The title of today's message is The Restoring Shepherd. The Restoring Shepherd. And uh, from our passage, I want us to see three things with Peter's uh, encounter with Christ. Uh, the first is we're going to look at the, his restoration from failure. Okay, Peter's restoration from failure. Second, we're going to look at his restoration to mission. His restoration unto mission, and finally, his restoration to discipleship. So it's involving Peter's restoration, and the three areas, categories are from failure, to mission, and to discipleship. Now, um, question, have you ever asked someone, do you love me? Do you love me? To be honest, I never have. I'm too proud, right? I'm too insecure, because if they say no, I'll be so wounded. So I have actually never asked someone, do you love me? Okay, not even my wife. I, I've told my wife that I love her, and she tells me that she loves me, but we actually have never asked one another, do you love me? Right? Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's like self-protection. Maybe we assume it. We know it or something along those lines. Uh, but there was a moment right, when we were engaged. I told uh, my fiance, Alice, at the time, and I said, Alice, I love you. And she said, why? And I was like, oh, uh, oh. Uh. And then after that, like, I just threw out every like positive, virtuous thing. I was like, because you're beautiful, you're smart, you're funny, you make me happy. But I just wasn't ready. She said, why? And I was like, oh, my God. But, but I mean, what a, what a jarring question, though, for somebody to come up to you, look you in the eye, and, and ask, do you love me? But in our passage... Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the first thing we must ask is why? Jesus, why are you asking Peter that? You spent three years together in ministry on the greatest mission trip ever. Do you not know whether Peter loves you? Why would you ask him in the first place and then three times over again? Well, we want to ask this question. Let me begin to answer this by providing some context to our passage. You see, in the beginning of John chapter 21, we're told that Peter is with six of the other disciples, okay? Good old Doubting Thomas, he's one of them, right? John, the author of our gospel, he's with Peter as well. And so Peter is there and they're together. Now in John chapter 20, we are told that Jesus in his resurrection glory, has revealed himself to the disciples. He met them in the upper room. The door was locked. He showed up, and he showed them his nail-pierced hands and his spear-pierced side, and he said, Peace be with you. But then he left. Eight days later, when Thomas had rejoined the disciples, he shows up again, and he says, Peace be with you. And Thomas is amazed, right? And then after that encounter, Jesus leaves again, and he departs, and the disciples do not know where he is. Jesus has since disappeared. So what do the disciples do? They actually leave Jerusalem. And this leads us into chapter 21. And we're told they're no longer in Jerusalem. They're actually in Galilee. And Galilee is 80 miles north of Jerusalem. I mean, 80 miles is a long drive for us, right? But imagine 80 miles on horseback or camelback or on your feet, this was a significant journey that, the, that the Peter and the disciples took to go back to Galilee. Why did they go to Galilee? It was actually Peter's hometown. Peter's hometown was Galilee. That's where he first met Jesus. And as the disciples were gathered together, Peter was there with Thomas and Nathaniel, James and John. They're hanging out together. Peter, he gets up, and he says, "I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing." Now, for us, if someone is like, hey, let's go fishing, we're thinking of like a hobby, a social engagement. Let's go to the Santa Monica Pier. Let's go to the Channel Islands. Let's go like, you know, get a charter boat. To us, fishing is like sport or it's a hobby. To Peter, that's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying, I'm bored. Let's do something fun, guys. Let's go fishing. No. Remember what Peter's vocation was before he became a disciple of Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. Being uh, Fishing was something he was good at. Fishing was something that he was familiar with. Peter, uh, for, for Peter, fishing was, was, his, was his history. That's part of who he was. That's what he did. And the same was true of James and John. They were all fishermen when Jesus first approached them and invited them to come follow him. So not only has Peter gone back to his hometown in Galilee, he's also gone back to his former way of life. Do you see that? He's gone back to fishing. And the disciples, they're okay with that. They say, okay, let's do it. And they go fishing and they fish throughout the night, but they don't catch a thing, right? They don't catch a thing. And these are experienced fishermen. Peter, James, and John, Andrew, they've been fishing these waters their entire life, but they don't catch a single thing in the Sea of Tiberias. Then Jesus shows up. He shows up on the shore, and he calls out to them. And he says, children, do you have any fish? And these proud fishermen, these experienced veteran fishermen have to say no. And so Jesus says, hey, cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And they do. They give it a try. And they catch 153 fish. 153 fish. It's unbelievable. It's an incredible thing. Uh, The Gospels tell us that their nets were about to break. That's how full their nets were. Now, if you think about that, it actually tells us something beautiful about Jesus. You see, even though Peter was on the verge of calling it quits, he went back home. He went back to his old vocation. Even though he was ready to do that, Jesus wasn't going to let him question. Do you think that, that there were really zero fish on the left side of the boat and then 153 fish on the right side of the boat? Ask any fisherman. That doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, fishing doesn't work like that. What was Jesus doing? Jesus offered Peter one last miracle. One last miracle. Jesus didn't let Peter and the disciples catch any fish until it was by the word of the Lord until it was by the hand of Jesus. He didn't want Peter to be able to go back on his own terms to his old life and be successful and comfortable as a fisherman. Again, Jesus had a greater vision, a greater calling, and a plan for Peter. He said, Peter, don't be a fisherman any longer. Be a fisher of men. Come follow me. Leave your nets behind. You see that? Man, Jesus wouldn't let Peter go back. He wouldn't let Peter go back to his old ways. And then as that passage continues, if you keep reading through John 21, John, the disciple, he first recognizes that it's Jesus on the seashore, and he tells Peter. And if you've read the story of the Gospels, you know that Peter acts first before he thinks. right? Did you know that when, when um, the soldiers came to arrest P- uh, Jesus, Peter pulled out this little sword and cut off, cut off a priest's ear? And Jesus is like, well, put away your sword. And he healed the ear and went away. He just acts before he thinks. Peter speaks before he thinks. And here again, you know what Peter does? He gets excited that Jesus is on the shore. He puts on his outer garment, jumps into the water, and swims towards Jesus. Now, if you and I were to do that, we'd expect that the the distance would be short, right? Like from here to the A.V. booth. Eh, That's manageable, right? John tells us he swam 100 yards, 100 yards to get to Jesus. And then the other disciples We're probably watching him and you know what they did? They rowed the boat to go to Jesus. They're probably looking at Peter like, I mean, have you ever swam with clothes on and how hard that is? But that's just, that's how crazy Peter was. The disciples, they take the boat back to the shore with the fish and they all have breakfast with Jesus. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And with this question Jesus initiates Peter's great restoration. Why did Peter need to be restored? It's because Peter had failed. He failed in a way that was unimaginable, unimaginable to him. You see that Jesus, you see Jesus, he predicted to Peter that Peter would disown him before his death. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus said to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me how many times? Three, three. How did Peter respond to this prophecy of Jesus? Peter said, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's what Peter said. I will die before I deny you, Jesus. You are my Lord. You are my master. I will follow you to the point of death. But we all know the rest of the story. What happens? Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's arrested by the Jewish leaders. And while Jesus was being tried, while he was being questioned, Peter had followed Jesus. And he's outside in the courtyard. And while he's there, three different servants come up to Peter and they say, I recognize you. Aren't you one of the followers? Aren't you one of the disciples? Aren't you with Jesus of Galilee? And Peter three times says, no, I do not know the man. This is the same night where Peter said, I will not deny you. This sa- just literally hours later, a servant girl first comes up to Peter. says, I don't know him. Another servant comes up to Peter. I don't know him. Another servant male comes up to Peter. And the third time, Peter invoked a curse on himself. Peter swore, I do not know the man. And after the third time, the rooster crowed. Peter remembered Jesus' words, and he went away weeping bitterly. Peter had failed Jesus. He had failed as a disciple. I mean, we know where Peter got his name. Jesus himself gave Peter the name Cephas, and he said, you will be the rock on which I build build my church. And a simple servant girl comes up to him, and he crumbles. I mean, just think about that. Peter identifies himself as the rock on which Jesus will build his church. And an unnamed servant girl crumbles him down with one question, aren't you with Jesus? And he says, no. He failed himself. He failed his his calling, and for that, he despised himself. Friends, I believe we can all relate to Peter in one way, shape, or form. We have all experienced the pain of failure. We know it. We know what the shame feels like. Maybe it's professional failure. Perhaps you've lost a job. Maybe you've experienced a demotion. Maybe you've had to shut down a business or experience bankruptcy. So painful, so stressful, so difficult. Maybe you've experienced a relational failure. The loss of a friend because of conflict. Somebody you love, somebody you cared about, somebody you thought you would spend the rest of your life with turns away from you and and, and leaves you only to find comfort in another person's arms. Maybe you've experienced the pain of divorce. There is no greater relational failure than divorce. And that wounds us deeply in our lives. Maybe it's spiritual failure, promises we've made to God but failed to keep. Have you ever done that? Made a promise to God, and you failed to keep it. Made a commitment to God, and you've broken it. And I just want to say this. There's something unique about spiritual failure. You see, if you experience, like, financial failure, you have to survive, right? So it's incredibly stressful, incredibly difficult, right? But you're going to have to go out and find another job because you have to put food on the table and provide for your family, Right? And so, it, like, you kind of have to recover and rebound, okay? But when it comes to spiritual failure, it doesn't just stress you out in your life. I believe it wounds you deeply in your soul. I have seen brothers in ministry, whether it's pastoral ministry or even missions, experience spiritual failure never to recover. One of my close friends was fired from his church, and this was 15 years ago he never went back into pastoral ministry. It's not because he didn't love God. It's not because he didn't know the word. His his GPA was like so much higher than mine, right? I mean, he is a fantastic student of God's word, high character. But that one experience of spiritual failure in the church wounded him so deeply, he never went back into pastoral ministry. You know what he did? He went to Korea to teach English. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh. But there's something unique about spiritual failure, and it haunts us because we feel like we've failed God. We've let him down, and we don't know how to heal. So often when we experience failure, we don't get back up. We often give up. We often run away. And this is what Peter experienced. After his failure, after his great denial of Jesus, the Lord that he said and he swore that he would follow even to the point of death, he went back home. He got in his boat and went back to fishing. But here we see the love of our Savior. Jesus restores Peter from his failure. And I want us to see how he does this. He doesn't just gloss over it. You know, there's that phrase relationally, well, if somebody hurts us or lets us down and fails us, right, if you want to forgive, you'll just say, it's all good, right, it's okay. Brothers and sisters, uh, that, there, there's something cheap about that. There's something superficial about that. Jesus doesn't say that to Peter. He doesn't say, it's all good. He doesn't cheapen Peter's restoration. Instead, what does Jesus do? He goes right to the hearts of Peter's failure, which is his pride. We see the pride of Peter even in the question of Jesus. You see, what does Jesus first say? He says, Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The first thing that we need to recognize is, wait, we have to ask, wait, I thought his name was Peter. But actually his name was Simon before he met Jesus. His name was Simon B.C. And it's actually only through the ministry of Jesus did Jesus tell Simon, hey, your name's gonna be Cephas. Your name's gonna be Peter because you are the rock on which I build my church. But Jesus doesn't call Peter, Peter in this exchange. He says, Simon. He says, you wanna go back to Galilee? You wanna live again as a fisherman? I will give you your former name. I will call you by your former name. And even at that moment, Peter, like, Peter was, he felt the jab. He felt the jab. But we have to ask, and then he says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? The first time Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me more than these? And uh, when I was younger, thinking about this passage, I was asking, what are these that Jesus is referring to? And I always thought that, that Jesus was referring to the fish. Kind of makes sense, right? Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Are you going to be a follower of me or a fisherman, right? But um, as I was studying this passage, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's actually referring to the other six disciples that were with them. Jesus is literally asking Peter, do you love me more than Thomas? Do you love me more than James, John, Nathaniel, and these other men? Why would he ask that? Why would he ask that question? It's because of an earlier exchange that Jesus had with Peter. You see, at the Last Supper, at the Last Supper on the eve before his death, Jesus told all of his disciples, you will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Prophecy. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Man, Peter's got quite the mouth, doesn't he? I mean, just you've got to kind of like just soak in the moments. Last supper, Jesus and the twelve disciples, and he's looking at them. He's telling them, "I am going to be afflicted, and when they strike me, the shepherd, all of you, out of fear, are going to scatter." And Peter says, "Even if these guys do, I won't." Right? I mean, that's like that—that's Peter saying, "I love you more than these." I am committed to you more than these men, my brothers. I am more devoted to you than anyone else. But Peter crumbled. He scattered. He denied Jesus publicly three times. And so Jesus, knowing this, he goes right to Peter's heart, right to Peter's pride. And he says, Peter, do you really love me more than these? How does Peter respond? He doesn't say yes and he doesn't say no. He simply says, Lord, you know that I love you. Such a wise answer. And that is the right answer. It's not to say, oh my gosh, I am a failure. I am less than these other disciples out of self loathing and condemnation. And it's not, yes, Lord, I love you more than these men because already he's been humbled. He already said that once and he fooled, I mean, you know, he, he embarrassed himself, right? So it's not about comparing himself to the disciples. It's not about superiority or inferiority. It's about, do you, in your heart and with your life, love Jesus? That's the important question. Jesus says, yes, you know that I love you. Next thing we need to ask about the exchange. Then why three times? Why three times? times. It seems repetitive. Even as I was reading it, it was repetitive, right? It wasn't a comfortable passage. And I was like, he said, he said, he said, he said, right? It was really difficult for me to read over. Now, uh, if you've heard pastors preach on this uh, text, uh, perhaps you've heard the pastor talk about the Greek and the difference between agape love and phileo love, right? And agape love is divine love. Phileo love, like Philadelphia, it's brotherly love, like uh, filial family love, right? And so in the Greek, it reads like this. Jesus asks Peter, do you agape me? And then Peter responds in the Greek text, I phileo you. It's like, what? Right? And then Jesus asks again, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. And the third time, Jesus then says, do you phileo me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo you. And then uh, pastors and commentators, the old ones, they all would would make a huge kind of like deal about the distinction between agape and phileo and and, and how one is greater and one is lesser and how Jesus wanted more from Peter, but he wasn't willing to and and able to give him the kind of love that Jesus deserved and demanded. But to be honest, guys, um, that's not the right interpretation of the passage, okay? It's not about uh, about a semantical back and forth between agape and phileo love because if you take that route, it seems really weird. It looks like Peter negotiated Jesus' love down, doesn't it? Agape, agape, phileo, phileo, Fine, phileo, right? And they're like, oh, that's all it takes. Uh, you know, you just say no, and I'm going to love you in my way, right? Versus the way that you deserve. And so, actually, if you study uh, John's gospel, you'll see you'll see that uh, John uses. The word for love, interchangeably between agape and phileo. Speaking about the love of God for his people, sometimes it's agape, sometimes it's phileo, right? And also other commentators say they probably weren't even speaking Greek to one another. They were speaking Aramaic, right? And so even to try and like make that semantic distinction is wrong. So then the question is this, why three times? Why three times? And the reason is this, it's to remind Peter, Of his failure, to remind Peter of his denial and to restore him from it. Once again, Jesus isn't saying, hey, let's just forgive and forget. No, let's deal with sin. Let's look at sin, and I want you to experience grace and forgiveness for your sins, not just forgetting about sin, not just overlooking sin, not just cheapening it by saying, it's all good, don't worry about it. Do you guys see that? He says, no, 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 let's go to your denial. And he says, Peter, You publicly denied me three times. Let me ask you publicly before your brothers three times, do you love me? That's restoration. That's the journey that Jesus graciously is taking Peter on. And after this restoration, You see that that Jesus isn't done with Peter. He actually wants to lead him back to mission. So after each confession of Peter's love for Jesus, Jesus responds with a command. He said, feed my lambs if you love me. If you love me, tend my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. And what Jesus is doing is he's putting Peter back on mission. He's reminding Peter that he is called to shepherd the flock, that he's called to be a pastor despite your failures. It says, even though you failed me, even though you denied me, your failures are not disqualifying you. And that's so important, guys. Failure is never final with God because our God is our redeemer. He is the one who restores us. He is the one who takes our weakness and offers us his strength. That's why Paul says, our weakness is made perfect by his strength. This is such an important message for us, guys, because we have this tendency to want to serve out of not our weakness, not our brokenness, not out of our failures, but out of our strength, out of our giftedness, out of our goodness. And when we fail God, when we fail others, when we fail ourselves, do we wanna serve? Do we wanna be on mission? No, we think we're disqualified. We disqualify ourselves, so we step down, we quit, we withdraw, we pull away. But brothers and sisters, that is not the work of Christ. That's you functioning under your authority and under your terms. You see, in our weakness, Jesus offers us his strength. I mean, hey, we've all done bad things, right? We've all, let, we've all failed God in, very, in a lot of ways, you know, like, January 1st, we're like, hey, we are going to read the Bible in one year. January 8th, we failed, right? <laughs> you know, and then we're like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna going to start going to prayer meetings. I'm going to start serving. So, I, you know, and we make all these promises to God. Like, God. God, I'm going to stop sinning. I know that I should stop doing X, Y, and Z. And, and then we, we struggle with those things. But, but none of us have denied Jesus on the eve of his death like Peter has. Have we? Have we failed God in that kind of public, right? Like just outlandish manner. But here's the crazy thing. That didn't disqualify him. Even though Peter disowned Jesus, Jesus didn't disown him. And if he didn't do that to Peter, he won't do it to you. Despite your failures, despite your weakness, despite your brokenness, Jesus will not disqualify you from serving him, from feeding the sheep, from caring for his people, from bringing glory to his name. We need to hear that. Failure is never final when it comes to the work and grace of Jesus. Not only does Jesus put Peter back on mission, he also reminds Peter of the most important thing about mission. The most important thing about mission and serving God, and it is love. It really is love. Jesus, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Brothers and sisters, all that we do for the church, all that we do for others, all that we do in in, in the world and in our communities, it needs to be out of a love for God, a love for Jesus. Kent Hughes, this great preacher uh, of the word, he, he writes this, and the quote's gonna go up on the screen. He says, Christ is saying to us, through Peter's example, that the greatest priority in life is our love for God. It is the first question for every theologian. It is essential. It is the essential question for every pastor. It is the supreme question for every missionary. It is the number one question for every one of us who wants to please God. Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? And if you do, you can serve Jesus. If you love Jesus, you go and make him known. Care for others. Demonstrate his compassion. But all of that flows from the love that we have for Christ. And we love because he first loved us. The third thing that we see from Peter's encounter with Jesus is his restoration to discipleship. Our our passage closes with the final words of Jesus to Peter. And what does he say? He says, follow me. Follow me. Do you know what Jesus' first words to Peter were? Follow me. If you go to Mark chapter 1, verse 17, I, the symmetry as I studied this passage between Peter's first encounter with Jesus and his final encounter with Jesus in the gospel of Mark, it's uncanny. It's unbelievable. The words are the same. Follow me, follow me. The place, the location is the same the Sea of Galilee. Peter is doing the same thing. He is fishing. I mean, it's unbelievable. And then Jesus again approaches him in grace. If you read the story of Mark chapter one, Peter approaches, I mean, Jesus approaches Peter and Andrew while they are fishing. And he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we don't know anything else about Peter, only that he's a fisherman. We don't know that he's like, you know, a Bible scholar or a gifted speaker, or a great leader, or a holy and righteous person. We don't know anything about Peter. And that tells us that his call to follow, his call to discipleship, was wholly a call of grace. What do we see here in John chapter 21? Peter is in the midst of failure. Peter's running away from God. He's going back to his old life, and in the midst of that rebellion, Jesus says, come, follow me. Do you see the sheer grace that Jesus offers Peter? And he invites him to come, follow me. Peter, after all you've been through, after all you've seen, after you've journeyed with me for three years, Peter, if you love me, follow me. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn from Peter's example. We need to learn from Peter's encounter with Jesus. And it's this. The call to discipleship, the call to follow Christ, it's not a one-time event. Just because you responded and you said, God, I will take up my cross and follow you, three years ago, and made that prayer and made that commitment, that's not enough. We need to do this every day. Every day and every moment, we need to consider Christ, his worth, his call in our lives. We must rededicate ourselves to be disciples of Jesus. It's not a one-time event. It's a daily experience, it's a daily response that we must have. Jesus is calling us today, follow me. He's asking us today right now, do you love me? If you love me, follow me. Peter's story is a story for us. Brothers and sisters, I hope that even in the midst of failures that we might be experiencing today, failures that we might experience tomorrow, that we would know that our hope is not in our ability to bail ourselves or one another out. Our hope is in Christ and his ability to restore us, to forgive us, and to remind us of who we are. We're not the same people. We're not called to live the same lives we lived before Jesus. No, we are different. We are citizens in his kingdom. Let's feed the sheep. Let's bring glory to the name of Jesus. Let's remember who we are because of the grace of Christ. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, God, you are such a wonderful God who meets us with such powerful, relentless grace. We thank you for your encounter and the story of Peter. And how over and over again you invite him to follow you. You invite him to lay down his life, to lay down his his comforts, lay down his securities and his idols, and trust in you. Lord, I pray that just as you spoke to Peter, you would speak to us as well. And Father, I pray that you would speak into our fears and failures. God, that we wouldn't try to hide them from you, but we would allow you to deal with them in our lives. God, if we have been proud, if we have been stubborn, if we have been rebellious, Father, would you have mercy upon us? And Lord, as you humble us, God, would you lead us to a place where where we are restored? again in your love.